going on everybody this is Mario Zapata coming to you with a review of the fights from UFC fight night in St. Louis on Sunday January 14th today is uh, a Monday January 15th going into the 16th so I'm up pretty late reviewing what uh, action took place on Sunday and let's get right into it uh, let's get into how these fights went down and how the card was overall, and uh, what's next for these guys for some of the winners and losers. So let's start off with the main event, which is always typically the most intriguing matchup of the night. So Jeremy Stevens wins via TKO, or, uh, yep, TKO over Du Ho Choi. I thought this was a good fight for as long as it lasted, not surprised at all that it didn't last the full five rounds as it had been scheduled to. But... Let's break down what happened here. Duho Choi in the first round really did a good job of getting some of those leg kicks going and really affecting Stevens in a way that Stevens was having to begin to check some of those kicks, was also uh, switching stances a little bit, and I don't think that that was something that he necessarily wanted to do. So it appeared that Duho Choi had a really good game plan coming out the gates was really going to try to limit Stevens' mobility early and see how he could impact that going into the later rounds. And then he did end up landing, he did end up landing more strikes. And even though he threw far less, he was far more efficient with his striking in that first round. It was pretty obvious to me, though, that Jeremy Stevens had a little bit of the power advantage. It was affecting Choi a little bit more whenever he was landing. Also, Stevens landed some good uh, leg kicks of himself, and I think that that's really something that I'm not sure I notice him use too often in his prior fights, uh, you know, going back to even, you know, maybe four fights ago, but it's become a real nice weapon for Jeremy Stevens. I think he's getting better each and every fight. I think that he's still, if he could shore up just, you know, that wrestling game, if he can continue to improve with his striking, his accuracy, and really improve on his efficiency a little bit, um, you know, he's going to be a tough opponent for many, many guys. And, you know, this played out in this in the second round of this fight. You see that Duho Choi and Stevens came out again in the second round, both throwing, both willing. But Jeremy Stevens, because of that natural power that he has in his hands, that dynamite that he's got, um, you know, that he's able to use when he punches, he was just really able to affect Duho Choi in a way in which Choi was not able to do the same against Stevens. It became apparent a few times that Duho Choi had gotten hurt. Then he finally gets clipped, clipped, goes to the ground. Stevens is landing some monster ground and pound. And then even towards the end, it didn't look like Stevens was landing super clean on anything. But the ref did stop it because Duho Choi just kind of turtled up. He was just in a shell a little bit. He really, really wasn't trying to get in or out of any certain type of positions. He was just really struggling to, to, to maintain himself in the fight and to survive. And that's not what you can do. You have to be able to show that you've got some life going on. Apparently, he was down on the ground for a little bit. There are some people questioning the decision to stop the fight that early. But, in my opinion, if you look about, 
Uh, I always like to see how these guys look immediately after they get knocked out. Sometimes they get knocked out, they go, oh my gosh, like, I wasn't even knocked out. And you go, yeah, you were for a second, and then you got brought back to life with maybe another punch. That happens sometimes. It's a rarity, but it happens. In this case, apparently, Choi was on the map for a little bit of time, not not for a long, long time. But nonetheless, he was being attended to. He definitely was rocked, and that was probably a successful stoppage for the referee. If it had been any sooner, I would have been a little bit upset, but nonetheless, ended up being a good stoppage overall. So what I take from this fight is I still think Duho Choi has a lot of potential in his future. Now, it's unfortunate because he's going to have to serve that mandatory military term that Chan Sung Jung uh, served in South Korea, I believe, as well. And because of that, we're not going to see a whole lot of him after about a year from now or so. So the unfortunate thing is that he's not going to be able to really sh show us a lot in the next coming months either, in my opinion, because he took so much time off. Um, after he had that war with Cub Swanson, I would assume that he needs to take at least another six months off uh, this time around again because he did get uh, knocked, out, uh, knocked out this time around. Not completely, but finished off by a TKO. So he'll definitely need to take some time off. As far as getting him back and fighting in the featherweight division, I think that just someone outside of the top 15, someone top 25, top 20 would be a good fight for him. I think that they really put him in a position where he could become a star in that fight against Cub Swanson in, a, in this fight against Jeremy Stevens as well. It just hasn't worked out to the way they planned. And there's nothing wrong with that. You kind you can kind of test these young guys, but again, he's still pretty young at 26. If he can get a you know a couple wins, two or three wins before he serves that military term, then has two years off and is really able to focus in on his job, but also at the same time focus in on trying to get better in terms of mixed martial arts, then you can see him come back after his military term is over when he's a little bit older, a little bit wiser. It would be very interesting to see what type of fighter he transforms into, and um, I would be very excited to see that to that to see that happen. But in order for that to happen again, I think you give him a couple guys that are just outside the top fifteen, inside the top twenty at least, and um, at the very least inside the top twenty-five. That way, he can just get some momentum over under him. He can grow a little bit. He doesn't need to become that big time superstar until after he comes back from that military term anyways. All right. And then as far as the winner goes for Jeremy Stevens, there's a lot of possibilities here. I mean, he's talked about fighting Brian Ortega. He's talked about if Max Holloway or Frankie Edgars pulls out, he's willing to step in. So he clearly has a lot of different options here. He could fight a guy like a Yair Rodriguez. I, I wouldn't because Yair is coming off a loss. But Jeremy Stevens versus Chan Sung Jung would be awesome. Ricardo Lamas would be a good fight. Um, Jeremy Stevens versus a Cub Swanson, if he's able to to uh, re-sign with the UFC, that would be interesting. Josh Emmett is at number four. Brian Ortega is another fresh matchup. Frankie Edgar is um, fighting Holloway, so I wouldn't do that. But then you also even have Jose Aldo, who's out there. So all of those are interesting, interesting matchups. I don't want to see Jeremy fight anyone below his number. Currently, he's got Elkins, Bermudez, Moicano, uh, Duho Choi, Jury, and Bektik. 
be behind him in the rankings. I'm not interested in any of those fights. I would really be interested in for for my liking. I think another fantastic fight would be uh, him versus Chan Sung Jung. He could try to go and uh, get two South Koreans in a row. I don't, you know, that could be somewhat of a storyline. Um, you know, people tend to gravitate towards those type of things, especially like when Americans go down to Brazil and end up winning in Brazil. So there could be a little bit of a story there. Maybe you get a little bit of that rivalry uh, feel to that. But also Chan Sung Jung has, you know, just, it, there's a reason why to call him the Korean zombie because he just walks through punishment himself. It'd be a really intriguing, uh, fun, stylistic matchup to see that fight come to fruition. So that's actually what I would like to see. I know Brian Ortega uh, was being talked to you about uh, Jeremy Stevens as well. but and, and that would be a good fight too, I would, no doubt about it. But for Brian Ortega, the way I see it is I would like to see him fight the winner of Holloway Edgar. And if not that, I would like to see him fight maybe at Jose Aldo. That would be a very intriguing fight in its, so, in its own right. But once again, Jeremy Stevens getting a lot better. I really believe that he's done a lot of he's had a, a lot of hard work to get to this point. He just needs to get better on, you know, being more well-rounded for those guys like a Brian Ortega who are going to have monster ground games and things of that nature, become a little bit more diverse and he'll be good to go. <clears throat> All right, so the next fight is Paige Van Zant versus Jessica Rose Clark. So yeah, uh, let's get right into this one. Paige Van Zant wins by Unit or Paige Van Zant loses to Jessica Rose Clark. Jessica Rose Clark picks up the win by unanimous decision. She did a good job of uh, controlling this fight for pretty much all three rounds. I thought Van Zant did a good job of striking when he she was on her feet. I thought in that first round, Jessica Rose Clark did a little bit to outstrike Paige Van Zant. And one thing that I noticed is that Jessica Rose Clark. She really focused on being fundamentally sound, just being good technically in her striking and efficient and taking what she could get from from Paige. And Paige's problem, I thought, in that first round was that she was coming out with a lot of these uh, unique, uh, diverse strikes. And it was exciting to see. It was fun to see. But again, she was getting countered because when you do that, you can kind of leave yourself open, especially if you're not very... If you're not super tight and uh, quick with those techniques, and she's not all, she is not always the best at at throwing those type of techniques, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just think that if she is able to focus really a lot more on her fundamentals, just her pure boxing, her you know her footwork, uh, just you know regular kicks, nothing that has to be like you know. Uh, a switch, you know, a flying kick or, you know, a spinning kick or anything like that. I think that that would help. Just have her learn some more of the basics. That's why that way when she switches it up with some of the more unique strikes that has, she has in her arsenal, they can be a little bit more effective with her having set up those strikes with just, you know, some of those fundamental strikes. But as we found out, apparently there was some sort of injury to her hand or to her arm, I believe it was the right arm. So she was only really able to punch with the left. And when it came to grappling, I'm sure that made it extremely difficult. It looks like that happened in the first round. And from there on out, 
it just was uh, Jessica Rose Clark's fight to lose. So um, she ended up winning. She ended up winning that fight, really dominating on the ground. She had three minutes forty seconds of ground control in the uh, first round. She had a minute fifty nine of ground control in the second round, and then in the third round. There wasn't a whole lot of ground activity. I actually thought that Van Zant won that third round because she was just so active with her striking. And it was a very impressive, gutty performance by Van Zant to continue to go for the knockout. She was pretty repetitive in that th third round, but nonetheless, she really you know, did her best to win without really even throwing much of her right hand. And that was unfortunate because I would have loved to have seen how that fight would have played out if she was... If she had a healthy right uh, right arm, um, as far as Jessica Rose Clark, I thought she was pretty impressive in her in her own right. She got Van Zandt into big big trouble in those first couple rounds. You know she was able to to uh, really like I said counter Paige's um, unique striking with just some fundamental uh, strikes of her own. And then when she got to the ground, a lot of people thought that Paige would have the advantage there, but Jessica Rose Clark really had the advantage. I think that she just was a little bit too big, a little bit too strong for Paige. She had her in a couple of submission attempts, so that really put Paige Van Zandt in some precarious situations. And uh, because of that, she was able to uh, win this fight. I think she's an interesting person to watch. I don't see a whole lot of, of elite talent there, but I do see something to work with. I do believe that she can get better. Um, and also pretty happy to hear that Jessica Rose Clark won after having to deal with kind of a, a, a terrible week in which her house got robbed of about $30,000, um, not, not cash, but in $30,000 worth of, worth of stuff. And then apparently her cat died, which sounds kind of, pe people hear that and they kind of chuckle or, or they go, oh, it's just a cat. But, you know, and those things happen, I mean, who knows? I mean, you you lose a pet, and that's kind of unfortunate. That's definitely an unfortunate thing. I'm pretty attached to my pet, so um, you know that had to have been quite a tough week. And you know, also, you know, getting robbed of that much, uh, you, you know, collections and memorabilia or whatever it is that they robbed. I mean, that's got to be pretty, pretty bad in its own right. So happy to hear that she was able to cap off the week with a happy memory, at least, and. Uh, some good vibes before she went back home and had to deal with that type of um, carnage over there back in her home. So as far as Paige Van Zant, I would say I was actually pretty pleased with uh, to see the improvements. I think that she is getting better striking. I'm very intrigued to see if they focus on those fundamentals. If she gets a she gets healthy, doesn't have anything wrong with her limbs, uh, how that would have changed the fight. I really wanted to see. Um, how that would have changed her striking uh, game plan and strategy. And also, I know that she got pretty much, you know, manhandled on the ground, but you have to wonder if that right hand was really hurting, that right arm was hurt, really hurting that bad, how much did that hinder her in those grappling exchanges too? Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of situations where you're putting pressure on that right arm and you're having to use it for different type of things when it comes to the grappling realm as well. So I think that that's something that people aren't really considering. But again, um, just needs to keep improving. Again, get healthy. I think she'll actually be okay. And I think while 115 would be better for her, 
if you were able to make it successfully, no problem every single time. That would be great. But I do believe that she can compete at 125. She is uh, going to be on a little bit of the smaller side. But I don't think it's so bad that she definitely absolutely needs to go down back to 115. But she'll need to take some lower level fights for the time being and just re rebuild herself. She has she still has a lot of fans, so I wouldn't worry about that. But she just needs to rebuild her confidence and rebuild herself um, all together, and she should be okay. So as far as Jessica Rose Clark, what's next for her? Um, you know, we, we haven't really seen this division play out too much. I'm not too familiar with a lot of these women. I mean, I'm looking in the top 15. I don't even – I haven't even – uh, watch much of the champion before the number one ring fighter. You know, I know Lauren Murphy, Alexis Davis, Montefiore, Honchak, and Carmouche, but then when you look at the rest of the division, it's pretty slim pickings. I mean, so uh, I don't know exactly who they would want to have her face next, but I just think anyone in that top 10 is fine and uh, would be a good test for her. And I'm definitely intrigued to see if she can continue to improve herself going forward. <sighs> All right, so moving on to the next thing, let's talk about Kamaru Usman versus Emil Mech. So let's talk about this. This is this one's pretty clear and simple to me. Emil Mech was definitely better on the feet. He's extremely strong. He's got a lot of power, and he's not the most technique technical, but he definitely was a better t striker than uh, Kamaru Usman. Emil Meek has some good striking. Um, you know, has a good striking repertoire in his own right. And um, I think he did well every single time he was on defeat with Usman. I, th I thought it looked clearly to me that Usman was overmatched by Meek and by his aggressive style, and he did come forward. But again, in preparing to watch, to in preparing this, to see how this fight might turn out, I thought that one of the problems for Meek is that even though he decided he likes to be aggressive and come forward, and that works for a lot of in a lot of different opponents' uh, game plans, I think that was a hit issue here because Kamaru Usman is a spectacular wrestler, and he did, and that kind of plays into what Usman likes, or or it could help because you're just kind of coming forward, you're not really uh, anticipating the takedown. It makes it kind of easier so, at some points, and so also. On the other hand, I just thought that Kamaru Usman going into this fight was going to be able to take down Mech at will. And part of that was because he was taken down, you know, pretty much not not at will, but he was taken down a couple of times by Jordan Meehan. And I know that Kamaru Usman's uh, wrestling repertoire is much better, much, much better than Jordan Meehan. So I just had real confidence that Usman would be able to come in and fight a fight like he did. Of course, it wasn't the most entertaining fight. Usman really wasn't able to get off a lot of, or a ton of ground and pound. Emil Mech at some at one point, I think in the second round even, was landing some nice sharp elbows from the from the bottom, but then Usman was landing some of his own as well. So I think with Usman, the thing that I took from this fight is that I think Meek. Mech is going to be um, really fun to watch going forward. I think he's going to be a good guy to match up with some other fun guys in the division and see if he's ever able to 
make it out of that top 25, top 20 area and actually make it into the top 15, top 10 area because he's got a lot of physical tools. I don't believe he's great in any one area where you go, okay, I've got to definitely watch out for that. But I think that there is potential for him to get better. I think that there is potential for him to find, okay, this is a, this is what I'm good, I'm good at. This is what I'm great at. And this is how I'll use that in order to win my fights. But um, so for Mech going forward, excuse me, for Mech going forward, I would say they just need to get him a, another fight, you know, somewhere in the top 30, someone that's a little bit lower level. And just for the sheer fact that he's fought two tough, tough guys in his first two fights in Jordan Mean and, and Kamaru Usman, that's a big jump whenever it's your first two fights in the UFC. And if you look at his record, it's not all that extensive. So he's still pretty young in his fighting career. And I definitely would be interested to see how he is able to develop going forward. As far as Usman goes, I thought this was a really good performance in the sense that he just showed that he can dominate guys, maybe not even on his best nights. He really rubbed people the wrong way whenever he spoke and said that that was 30%. He then came out on Twitter later, even after catching some flack from um, UFC President Dana White, who said, you know, 30%, then what are you doing and how, how could you... You know, how could he rely on you for a main event? Does that mean you do 60% in the main event? Well, apparently Usman, according to Twitter, said he wanted to clarify and that he actually meant that he was only 30% healthy, but he didn't want to pull out, and he was still able to do that to Milmec. That's kind of how I thought of it at first, but it just seemed like he never really came across clearly to people, so a lot of people were turned off by that. But that would kind of make sense to me. That would make, uh, it doesn't make sense to me for him to go, oh, well, you know, that was just 30% um, effort. That that would be a terrible way to go. And that's not something that you want to be saying after your fights, especially when the UFC president is listening to you and is going, well, you know, you're potentially going to be a title contender, but how do I want to push you towards that or do I want to pull you away from that as much as possible make it as hard as possible because I don't know what type of uh, you know effort you're going to put out there so I definitely uh, thought that that was kind of misspoken once he cleared it up on Twitter I will say I tend to believe him and if that's the case that is extremely impressive Emil Mech is an extremely strong guy and so like I said, I think he had some problems getting off his back. He also had some problems getting taken down. But to be able to control a guy that's that strong in a meal mech is, is really interesting to me. I think Eddie Bravo said it best that he's almost similar to, to Habib Nurmagomedov. I think what's tougher is that it's kind of tougher to be that dominant wrestler in the welterweight division where guys are stronger, bigger. Um, it's just a little bit tougher. In my opinion, even if you are as strong as him and as um, big as them. But uh, I do believe that Usman has a little bit of that Habib nature to him. There's nothing like Habib's ground and pound and the pressure that he's able to enforce when he's down there. And really just pound people into oblivion down there. And really get them discouraged by even the first round as we saw in the Edson Barboza fight. 
So that's something that Usman definitely needs to work at. And obviously, they're both similar in the sense that if they face a competent striker, that could be that could mean real danger as long as they're up. I don't think Usman is as dominant a wrestler as Habib. But again, he's pretty dang close. And the pace he was able to hold during that fight, he never really got tired. He was able to wrestle for all 15 minutes was extremely, extremely impressive. He just needs to find a way to to better himself in the ground and pound department. And if he is able to do that, he would essentially become your 170-pound type Habib Nurmagomedov. And that is a scary, scary individual. I think that even though he has holes in his striking, he's got some physical tools in order to shirt us up. He just needs to embrace them. But he also should focus on what he's good at. And I do like that when fighters just continue to improve what they're best at. But if he's able to throw in a few tricks here and there to keep people uh, respecting him when he is on the feet, that will help him immensely going forward against the the, 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 the uh, division's elite elite. So for Kamaru Usman, next fight I would like to see him in. Let's go for, let's see who is above him in the rankings. You've got Santiago Ponzinibbio, Neil Magny, Darren Till, Jorge Masvidal, Damian Maya, Robbie Lawler, Colby Covington, Rafael Dos Anjos, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, and then, of course, the champ is Tyrone Woodley. So he's not getting Woodley. I don't believe Thompson or Dos Anjos would do it. I wouldn't want to see him against a Lawler, Maya, or, or even Masvidal. Uh, Magny, perhaps, Ponzinibbio, Till. And Covington, those are the guys I'm really looking at right there. Fonzanibio, Magni, Till, and Covington. Honestly, if they're not going to do Darren Till versus Colby Covington, I would love, love, love to see Kamara Usman versus Colby Covington. That would be a very intriguing fight. I know Colby is, uh, is a grappler in his own right, and that's what he prefers as well. So I think that would be an interesting interesting stylistic clash and I think these are two guys who are trying to bark a lot who are trying to make waves in the divisions in terms of really getting the attention really trying to get that title shot but they just need some more fights under their belts and I think that that rivalry could turn into something that would be uh, very noteworthy within the MMA community, uh, community at least so I think that that's a perfect fight for both of them um and it really tests whether or not, like, who's going to go on to get one step closer to that title. So that's the fight I would like to see for Kamaru Usman. Okay, the last one we'll talk a little bit in depth about is Darren Elkins versus Michael Johnson. This was just, um, this was impressive by Darren Elkins, the damage. And now he's got that tattoo across his chest. I think he's nuts for it. I mean, it, <laughs> it's just, it's just crazy. I would have never thought a few years ago, um, that Darren Elkins would have a tattoo saying the damage across his chest, and that's his nickname. But nonetheless, uh, Darren Elkins, apparently, from what I heard on the broadcast, they said that part, part of the reason why his name is the damage is because he takes the damage, and then he dishes it out later on uh, in the fight. And that's exactly what happened here. Michael Johnson, I predicted, would win. He would just be too fast, too athletic. Uh, too, too, a little bit too power, too powerful, 
and would finish uh, Darren Elkinson, I think I said in the third round. I'm not too sure. Nonetheless, I was completely wrong about that, But uh, and I shouldn't say that. I think it was very apparent in the first round what my thoughts were were absolutely true. Michael Johnson was faster. He was stronger as far as his, um, you know, the power in his hands. He was more accurate, more athletic. It just appeared that he was going to dominate this fight. But then in the second round, he um, gets into a little bit of a scramble with Elkins. Elkins ends up getting the control of him. And then eventually he does a great, great job of just searching for that rear naked choke really takes his time and then once he was a and then he was able to wiggle it in under michael's chin and once it was in that that deep it was over from for michael johnson so another disappointing loss for michael johnson i believe that's five out of his last six that he's lost i mean again they've been to really good guys they've been the really good guys but it's just tough for yourself to lose that much in that time span in those amount of fights. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with him going forward. I do think that 145 he looked good at. His speed really translated very well, even though uh, it's a little bit biased. Uh, it's a you know because not everyone's as slow as Darren Elkins at that division, but nonetheless his speed translated very well. I thought he looked really good. Uh, Conditioning-wise, I didn't think he looked too drained out. I actually thought that, you know what, that kind of looks like a natural weight class for him. So I would like to see him give it another shot. It's just going to have to be against someone who's very low in the rankings um, because he's had such a bad stretch as of late. I think what's important for him is just to find his footing at 145 and meanwhile get some, some easier wins when it comes to that division. For Darren Elkins, Darren Elkins, what do you say about this guy? This guy is <laughs> very impressive. He's just someone that is fun to root for for a lot of fans. And, um, you know, how could you hate the guy? I mean, it, it, it's nuts. I mean, he, this is uh, very impressive. He has won one, two, three, four, five, six fights in a row uh, against Rob Whiteford, against Chas Skelly, and Godofredo Pepe. He won unanimous decisions. He um, ended up with a performance of the night bonus and the KO, TKO of Ms. Radbektich. And then he ended up with a split decision over Dennis Bermudez. Another great win right there. And then ended up with a round two submission victory over Michael Johnson. Very impressive stuff and work from uh, Darren Elkins. He certainly has improved in his striking game. I know that he was overwhelmed by Johnson, but I just thought that was a real bad stylistic matchup. But give Darren Elkins credit. I think what was able to set up that striking is that he was able to get Michael to believe a little bit that he would strike with him. Because in that first round, Michael was teeing off pretty early. But if you look closer to, you know, two minutes left and towards the end of the, the first round, Darren Elkins started to land some counters and made... Michael at least stepped back and think for a second on a couple of occasions where he said, okay, I can't really go in as recklessly as I did earlier. He really weathered that storm nicely in the second round took over. And when he gets his chances, he does not pass them up. So he had that chance for the rear naked choke, didn't want it to go into the decision, and he was very successful in that even after he was down one round 
so great work by Darren Elkins. As far as what I'd like to see next out of him, let's take a look at the rankings. I mean, I think for this kid, Elkins is someone that they're kind of looking to use as someone that uh, could they could get a nice win over him who would be a ranked opponent, and that would be a good one to have. But you know what? I, I don't really see anyone lined up to do that right now. I think actually a pretty good fight would be Miles Jury versus Darren Elkins. Both have really good drag grappling backgrounds. Miles Jury, I think, is a guy who a lot of people have thought has had a lot of potential for many years and just hasn't been able to tap into it in order to be super successful for large or long amounts of times against the very elite in the division. I think that Jury and Elkins would be a very intriguing matchup. Jury, I think, would have the advantage striking-wise. But again, Elkins, since he has moved to Team Alpha Male, has gotten better with his striking and continues to show. And then once it gets to the ground, I think that that would be a, a good amount of fun. And I think half the, battle, half the fun in that would be to see uh, what the process is in order to get one of these guys to the ground because they're very good at defending the takedowns as well. So that's what I would like to see from uh, Darren Elkins going forward. As far as the rest of the fights that went on tonight, last night uh, on Sunday, James Krause defeated Alex White by unanimous decision. Just to sum up this, these last fights that I've watched quickly, Krause had to do what he had to do. Alex White was definitely landing on his feet, was landing the better strikes, no doubt about it. Krause was really having a tough time getting his timing and his range down, but he reverted back. He just relied on his wrestling, relied on his grappling, was able to control most of the fight long enough for him to win the fight uh, by decision, so I thought that was a good game plan by him. It's a little bit frustrating watching Krause. He definitely looks like someone that should be performing at a much higher level, but for whatever reason it's not. I think that he almost suffers from thinking too much. It seems like he's got a lot of natural ability that he that is hindered because he's too smart for his own good in there. And because of that, I just don't think that he lets his hands go as much as he needs to. And that's a bit unfortunate. But Alex White, on the other hand, definitely needs to get a ground game, as Michael Bisping said on the post-fight um, uh, results uh, programming on UFC on the on the Fox Sports One Network, but um, if he could do that, he would be very dangerous. But unfortunately, he just did not have the ability to get up and keep Kraus off of him. Matt Frivola loses to Marco Polo Reyes by KO. This was incredible. Frivola was coming off the Contender Series, wanted to be another success story, and he came out very aggressive the way that they advertised that he would. Marco Polo Reyes was ha more than happy to meet him with his own aggression. They continued to, you know, just swing back and forth at the beginning of this fight. And then when Marco Polo Reyes was able to hurt Frivola, um, he just didn't let up. He was very much stalking Frivola. Frivola was continuing to throw and looked like he was going to be content to see, okay, you hurt me, but now it's time for me to hurt you or knock you out. And then Polo Reyes was able to land that nasty knockout blow where, you know, Frivola just, his body's twist and he face plants kind of. So that was very impressive by Marco Polo Reyes. He was not at all um, phased by the hype of Frivola coming in from the contender series. He did an excellent job 
and that was a very impressive victory. I'd like to see what he does going forward. As far as Rivola, I thought he had some good things going from him. I think he needs to calm down a little bit, not really worry so much about having that style. Maybe he needs to slow it down a little bit here and there and just be a little bit more methodical. It's okay to continue to have that type of pressure, but you need to be a little bit smarter with that before going in recklessly at some points and just being okay with the result. Next fight was uh, Tadlita Bernardo versus Irene Aldana. Aldana was really able to show what she was really good at this this fight. Um, she still has issues on the ground. She was getting controlled by Bernardo, so that definitely was an issue. But every time they were on the feet, Aldana sh really showed that her length, the fact that she's so big for this weight weight class at 135, could be a real issue for women, especially when she does let her hands go and throws confidently. She has some nice light kicks, but she just has really good boxing. The problem with Aldana, and I think this is why she's lost, she had lost the first two fights before winning this one in the UFC, she doesn't have enough tools. She doesn't use enough tools, at least. That's the thing. That's the issue. That's the problem. She doesn't use her leg kicks. She doesn't use her jab enough, especially with her length. That would be a really good asset to have. I think she still has a lot of work to do on the ground. Um, she does a decent enough job to defend takedowns, but against the elite, that's going to be tough going for her. And um, against the elite, when it comes to striking, they're just going to be more willing and more confident to pull the trigger. So I'd definitely like to see more out of her, but she absolutely needs to be um, more willing and more confident in her game. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to get to the first fight on the FS1 prelims. Um, I did see the fight between Kalindra Faria, uh, Faria and Jessica I. Uh, I agreed with that decision. Jessica I won that by, by unanimous decision, I believe. And I thought it was well-deserved. She did a really good job of grappling and showing that she doesn't just strike. I think it was smart for her to change up her game plan and her strategy. It wasn't working out too well. Kalindra Faria was doing an excellent job of landing strikes. And um, she was landing the more significant, powerful strikes with her kicks. And she had some unique uh, strikes that she was throwing out there. But she just could not defend Jessica I in the grappling department. Jessica I did do enough. She said that the judges would like to see more more wrestling rather than striking, so that's what she was going to do. Good for her. I think the more that she's able to mix up her game, the better for her. She'll become less predictable. I did like her at this 125-pound weight class. I think she was one of the bigger girls, but I think she fits very nicely with her body in that weight class, um, so that should do her well. So I'd be interested to see what her next fight is again. With this weight class being so new, I can't really say who I re would really want her to fight next. But I do, I will be intrigued to see who they pair her up with next. As far as Kalindra uh, Faria, I thought she had some real, real potential. She did really nice work on the feet. She just needs to work on her ground game. And m more than anything, just her takedown defense game. Unfortunate thing about her, she's 31, so it's not like she has a ton of time to improve. She's got a lot of skills, and she's probably set in her ways in many ways in this game, and with a, especially with an 18-7-1 record. She has 
a good number of fights. So I don't know how much room there is for improvement for her, but I'm definitely interested in seeing her next fight. I'd like to see them pair her up with a little bit more of a striker next time around. And uh, maybe they kind of did this time, so you, you can't really fault them that for that. But I just think that she would put on a pretty entertaining fight herself. So that's pretty much all I have for the card. I wasn't able to get to those first two prelims either. was having some issues with Fight Pass, unfortunately. But that's uh, besides the point. As far as the whole card overall, I would give it a solid uh, B grade as far as the entertainment value, especially for a fight night. It was fine. It was a good card. I thought I enjoyed it. It did what it needed to do. Um, but, um, and, and you know what? I'll actually go B minus. The only reason I go B minus is because it was a good overall card. Although the best matchup on the card, in my opinion, was Kamaru Usman versus Emil Mech. And that did not end up being one of the better matchups of the night. It was actually one of the, uh, stranger, or not stranger, but it was, uh, non-entertaining matchups of the night so that was a little bit disappointing there's not a whole lot of star power but there was some good fights some good performances so i was definitely happy to see that and with that i think it earns a solid b minus which i think is a, a successful night especially on a sunday night i really enjoyed it uh, enough to stay up a little bit late before i had to go to work on monday morning so Nonetheless, let me know what you think of the card, what you, what your thoughts are on any of the results, and what do you think should happen next with these guys. Let me know at Zapata MMA on Twitter. Again, that is Zapata MMA on Twitter. Until then, I'll be coming out. I'll be um, looking to see what news comes out in the next few days. And until then, I'll talk to you all later. See you.